Have you ever been in a situation where you were pretty convinced that one thing was true, but actually it turned out that you were wrong? There was a family that I was reading about. This is a family. They went off on vacation. While they were on vacation, they found this puppy, and they decided to buy the puppy, which they did. It was a Tiberian Mastiff, which is a, it's just a huge dog to begin with. And so they weren't particularly surprised when it showed that it had a voracious appetite. But when the dog got to 250 pounds and showed a penchant for walking on its hind legs, they started to get a little bit suspicious. And so they went and they took their puppy, this now the dog that they've had as a pet for two years, to the authorities to have him checked out. And indeed, the authorities told them that it actually wasn't a Tiberian Mastiff. It was an Asiatic black bear is what they had been raising now for two years on their own. It seems like that's kind of an important detail to not miss, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to vital facts, wouldn't that be the bare minimum? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that wasn't very good. Just bear with me here. All right, so needless to say, this was one family that believed one thing to be true, and it turns out they were wrong, and they were pretty surprised. And today we're actually going to take a look at a different group of people who they are pretty convinced that one thing is true, and they come to find out that they were wrong, and they're pretty surprised about that as well. And this group that we are going to be looking at today is actually a church. It's in a church, a church in a place called Sardis. Sardis is the fifth of seven different churches that are addressed at the beginning of the book of Revelation. We've looked at four of them already, and today we look at the fifth of those, which is this church of Sardis. And we're just going to call this today the message to Sardis. We're going to take a look at what Jesus, who is the one who was the ultimate author of this letter through the Apostle John has to say to the church in Sardis. So if you haven't already, please go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 3 in your, in your uh, app or in your Bible or in your journals. I see many of those journals out there, which is really encouraging to me. While you're doing that, welcome to all of you who are watching, whether live and in the room or whether online or perhaps in the classic venue or on the Moon campus. Good to have this chance to be together. What I want to do is just let's start with a couple of introductory thoughts, all right, about uh, this city, about these people, and about this passage itself, all right? So the city of Sardis is, you can see where it is here, the city of Sardis is inland in the, from the coast of Asia Minor. We've been making our way around all of these churches. We've seen Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira, and now this week we're taking a look at Sardis. It's inland. It's about 30 miles to the south of Thyatira, which Pastor Jason took us through last week, and it's a very interesting place. It actually is a place that has this huge hill, and there was a citadel that they built up on the top of this hill, and it had very steep slopes, and you can see that right here. And because of the steepness of the slope and the fort that was up on the top, they thought it was pretty much impregnable, that nobody could come against them. And that's going to turn out to be a piece of this story, which is interesting. And we'll get to that. But first, let's go ahead and just take a look at what this story or how it begins, how this message begins. So let's get into our passage. Chapter 3 and verse 1 of the book of Revelation, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, 
the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. As with the introductions or the addresses to all of the other churches, all of these other messages that we've already seen, it begins by taking a look back, essentially. It's pulling something forward out of the, 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 the depiction, the description of the glorified Jesus that we find back in chapter 1. And there are actually two occasions here in this introduction. First of all, in chapter 1 and verse 4, it talks about, as it does here in the introduction to the message to Sardis, it talks about the seven spirits of God. Now, if you remember, or if you look back in your notes, you might see that at that time we talked about how the number seven is very important in Revelation. We see it over and over and over again. And oftentimes it's used symbolically, not just to say exactly seven, but it's a, it's a symbol, it's an idea, it's a thought that indicates completion or it indicates perfection. So it's not that there's seven different spirits of God. There is one perfect, there is one complete spirit of God. God. And that's what's in view here. It also talks about how Jesus, the glorified Jesus, holds these seven stars in his hand. And we saw in chapter, chapter 1 and verse 16, it talks about these same stars. And in verse 20, it actually interprets for us of chapter 1 what the stars are pointing to. And it says that these are the angels of the churches. And we pointed out then that this most likely is talking about some sort of guardian angel sort of spirit that is over each or angel that is over each of these churches. Though there are some who argue that, well, maybe it's a human messenger or maybe it's even the pastor that it's talking about there, but there's a, there's a lot to suggest that this is actually a guardian angel over each of the churches, watching out for that church, making sure that God's purposes are accomplished there in that place. And so we see this is what's going on, but which, whichever you would interpret that to be, the clear message here is that Jesus is communicating to this church, and he has something to say to this church, something very, very important. And what I want to do is just go ahead and take a look at this message to this church here in Sardis. And not just the message that Jesus gives to them, as important as that is, gives them some action steps for how to move their way forward given the context that they live in, not just for them, but also for us. Because we can find ourselves smack dab right in the middle of what is going on here in Sardis, in this church here in Sardis. And I think you'll see it as we make our way along. So what's the first of the action steps? The first of the action steps is this, to value reality over reputation. To value reality over reputation. Back in the 90s, there was a company that was doing big business in America, actually around the world. And it had a stellar reputation for its practices and what it was putting out. It was a business called Enron. Remember Enron? See, I know a bunch of you remember Enron because I can just hear it in your groans there when you, when you responded to that. Well, they were innovators actually in all kinds of modern technologies, energy trading. They were into things like, like internet video conferencing. They were into things like on-demand movies. This is before Netflix. This is before Zoom. They were on the forefront of these things. And because of that, they had this amazing reputation on the outside. But what people didn't know is that there were all sorts of bad stuff going on on the inside. There were bad business practices. There were illegal accounting practices and methods that were being used. And pretty soon that came out and you end up seeing all sorts of executives, dozens of executives that are criminally convicted. You've got bankruptcy that is there. And what was once a stellar reputation everything looked great on the outside. It was discovered that things weren't so good on the inside. 
That was Enron. And that's also Sardis. That's what's happening here in this city in Sardis. Now imagine that you're a part of the church in Sardis and you hear this word that there's going to be this very special letter that is going to be read and you're going to want to show up for that and there's a huge gathering that comes out because they want to hear, because this isn't just any old letter. This is a letter from Jesus. You're not going to want to miss this. So you come on out as everybody else does and you pack your way into the room and everybody doesn't fit and so it spills out onto the outside as well. And pretty soon the reader stands up and there's this huge hush that comes over the crowd because you don't want to miss a word. I mean, I mean, nobody's got their cell phones left on at this point, right? They don't want it to not be silenced. They want to hear this message. And the reader starts to read and he talks about this glorious appearance of Jesus in heaven and you see his glorified presence and it's an amazing scene and then he starts reading about these other churches, about Ephesus and how there's a lot of good to say about them and a little bad to say. And then Smyrna and it's all good about them and, and then you've got Pergamum, some good and some bad and Thyatira and kind of the, the same thing going on there and you're next. Your church is next. Now, I don't know about you, but I probably would have been a little bit nervous at that point if I was a part of the church in Sardis. A little bit nervous about what might just be right. Because this is kind of like the teacher revealing your report card to everybody, right? In college, I actually had a professor who sort of did that. He would give us a test and he'd grade the test and then he'd bring them out and he'd hand them back out in class. And he would hand them out and he told us he was handing them out in order of the one who did the best to the one who did the worst. And so you were concerned about when your test was going to be coming back. And so it sort of started like this. He'd go, okay, well, here's the one with the highest grade. Uh, this goes to Carolyn <laughs> again. And then he'd let you know that it's kind of changing grades and getting, getting worse. And he'd say, and here's one for someone who should have studied harder, Mr. McNichol. Yes, that's kind of the way that it went. I always thought that there should have been kind of HIPAA laws for grades. That, that would be a good thing, don't you think? Well, there weren't. But anyway, if you were part of this church in Sardis, actually, you probably weren't all that nervous. You were probably excited because you knew what your reputation was as a church and your reputation over against places like Ephesus and, and Smyrna and Pergamum and all those other things that we've already heard. There's good things going on there. And so you're excited. You want to know, what are you going to say about us? There's got to be tons you've got to say about us because we've got this great reputation. And so the guy starts to read and everything gets quiet. And he declares at the end of verse 1, I know your works, Sardis. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Ouch. How would that feel? All the other churches to this point had something good said about them, but not Sardis. They're just called dead. So what's the problem? I mean, it doesn't say anything about Sardis that there's false prophets there, false teachers. It doesn't say anything about immorality. It doesn't say anything about idolatry that's going on there, but it says that they are dead. They lack life. And what's especially troubling is that they don't even know it. In fact, both inside and outside the church, everything looks great. They're being applauded for who they are and, and the nature of their church because the people who are looking on, it's like, wow. 
This is fantastic. Good for you. Which just goes to show us that a healthy church is not built on appearance. It's built on authenticity. And so what are we saying? We're saying that we need to value reality over reputation. So how does this happen? Well, clearly this church has the externals. They're doing good things in the city. They've got a good relationship with other people there in town. They're meeting their budget. The cafe is bumping and the playland is full. Things are going great. It looks like a lot's going on, but that's where it stops. A look inside this church reveals complacency. They knew the Word, but they didn't act on it. They might have been very busy with activity, going here and going there and showing up for this event and that event, but they weren't out sharing their faith. They weren't being the lampstand that Jesus says that they were created to be. And Satan doesn't need to come against them with persecution and with opposition because he's already got them exactly where he wants them. They thought they were awesome. Actually, they're irrelevant. There's no better place that he could have them than that. The church in Sardis should have all of us sitting up and paying attention. It certainly gets my attention as a Christ follower to ask myself what's going on in here. It also gets my attention as one who is a part of leading a church that has a good reputation. Because we need to ask ourselves the things that we see happening even in us. Is this reality? Or is this just reputation? Is it just appearances? Is there something genuine in it? And we need to be doing the same examination in our individual lives. I need to. You need to. The church in Sardis did. Yes, absolutely. But it speaks to us as well. What sort of drive do you have to learn and to grow and to apply the Scriptures into your life, to have it actually change the way that you live today and the way that you're going to live tomorrow and the day after that. And it's influencing you. And it's the first consideration when you consider, how am I going to live this day? How am I going to respond in this situation? How am I going to put away sin? Not a last consideration. Vitally important. Where are you telling others about your faith in Jesus and inviting them to partake in it? There's the ways we can ask ourselves, is it, is it just reputation or is there reality here? To demonstrate that I'm really genuinely all in. We need to value reality over reputation. You need to guard yourself against being a success in the eyes of the world and a failure in the eyes of God. That needs to be an important consideration for us. That was Sardis and Jesus lets them know. And he also lets them know what do you need to do? If you find yourself there, if you do that examination, it's like, yeah, everything isn't quite like it should be. Like there's some deadness going on in here. Like there's some places where I need to be restored. What do you do about that? Well, that's what he says as he goes on. He gives them another action step, a bit of a prescription. And the second one is this, value reality over reputation. And then secondly as well, pursue genuine spiritual vitality. Pursue genuine spiritual vitality vitality so how do you do that he tells us look at verse 2 it says wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for i have not found your works complete in the sight of my god remember then what you have received what you received and heard keep it and repent let's grab a few thoughts out of that verse and a half right there very essential for steps that we 
ought to take. What's the first thing he says? First thing he says is, wake up. He says, wake up. Open your eyes to the true nature of things. Stop fooling yourself by pretending that everything's good when everything is not good. We're very good at fooling ourselves. We're very good at pretending that we're places that we're actually not. Jesus says, wake up. What's one thing that you need to admit today about the present condition, the genuine condition of your spiritual walk? Are you just going through the motions? Do you need to get serious about growing in the Word, about growing in prayer, about growing in serving, about growing in giving? Where can you move forward? Where can you step up and reach out and share your faith? Where does this need to happen for you? He says, wake up. And also he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. This is a little glimpse that at least something's been going on in the church in Sardis because they've got something there to strengthen. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you've got something to strengthen also. It might be a bit dormant. It might be a bit weak. But there's the basis of faith that is in you. It gives you something from which you can springboard forward to become the people that God is desiring you to be. So wake up, yes, and then strengthen what might be there. Admit first that there are things that aren't going as they should be going. Wake up and then recognize that I can strengthen because of this basis that I have in faith. If you're not a believer in Jesus, then that's the place you need to start. Waking up for you is saying, I need to put my trust and my life in Jesus. Respond to the love that he's pouring out through the gospel. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. And he goes on. There's another step, which is this. It's to remember. Remember then what you received and heard. The gospel's gone out to this church, maybe by the Apostle Paul himself, maybe by John himself, who was previously in the region. They're being called to return to it. Do you remember when we studied the church in Ephesus and we saw that they had lost their first love? Do you remember the very first thing that Jesus told them to do? He said to them, remember. Remember where you were. Remember what it was like. Remember when you were on fire. When you had that first love, remember what you were doing. Remember what you were going. And then get back to that. Well, here, Jesus is saying the same thing to this church. And that's a message to us. If things are a bit lackluster, if you're kind of going through the motions, remember the time when it was the closest you felt with God. What were you doing? What were the steps you were taking? What were the actions? What were the things that you were avoiding? What were the sins that you were pushing aside instead of embracing? He says, remember. Then also, one last final key here is to repent. It's to repent. To repent means to turn from the direction you were going back to where you were before. In churches today, friends, I'm afraid there are a lot of people who are dabbling around on the fringes instead of jumping in, instead of being all in. We're dabbling. We're kind of you know, touching our toes to try to test the waters and see if we really want to jump in. If there's anything that we have learned, anything that we have seen that is characteristic of Jesus' message to all of these churches, it's that I'm asking, Jesus says, for everything. It's a hostile takeover, if you will. I need it all. I need all of you. It's not enough to give me a little bit or to show up 
for me now and then or show up for church and then go and live the rest of the week how I feel like living. He's saying, I want you all in. And where there's just toe-tapping, testing the waters, he says, you're dead. That's what Sardis was doing. He says, if you want to be in, you got to be all in. We see that again and again and again. This is critical because Jesus goes on at the end of verse 3. He says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus used this picture of a thief in the Gospels as well. And he's using it to remind them of the fact that there is a judgment that is coming. And there's no way to know when that judgment is going to happen. It's going to come like a thief. Unexpected. So the only way to be prepared when that time comes is to be prepared all the time. And he's just urging them and he's pleading with them. And this is a pleading that comes to us also. Get ready. Do it now. Now this idea would have had special meaning for the church here in Sardis because there were two times in their history, two times in their history when other nations had come against them and had defeated them. And so this picture of being ready is very important because what was characteristic in both of those occasions is that they weren't ready. Remember we talked about the fact that Sardis had this citadel up on this high hill with the steep cliffs. You can see the sort of thing right there. And so they thought they were invincible because nobody could get to them. And it was easy to protect themselves. But the thing is, because they felt themselves to be so invincible, they started to get a bit lackadaisical when it came to the lookouts and to paying attention because nobody can get up here anyway so why do we need to to be so vigilant about all of this and what happened in both cases is that someone from the opposing side scaled the way up the side of the cliffs actually got into the fortress and opened it up from the inside so the invading army could just come on in and defeat them And they weren't ready, and that's what their problem was all about. That's a danger for all of us as well because we can also get lulled into complacency. We can think, things are okay. Things seem to be going fine. I don't feel all of these attacks from Satan. and So, you know, it's fine. I'm doing fine. I'm busy with a few things. And so does it really matter if I'm deep in the Word? Does it really matter if I'm deep in serving? Does it really matter if I'm fully giving myself in every way that I can? And does it really matter if I'm all in? And we start to answer that question by saying, yeah, probably not. I seem to be getting by fine with sort of half-hearted effort. I can just kind of hang out here. We're becoming complacent. And that's where some of us are. And he says to us, no, I need you to develop genuine spiritual vitality. That's what he's calling us to. You can't just sit there and say, yeah, that's for somebody else. I'm not willing to be that person. If We take the message from Jesus himself Seriously, we need to go all in. How do you do that? You wake up. You strengthen what is there, build it into something stronger, and build that into something stronger still. You remember what it was like. You repent. Which one of those is the most urgent next step for you? 
Do you need to wake up, recognize that there are things just aren't as they should be? Do you need to remember where you were? Do you need to repent of something that's going on? Whatever it is for you, make a commitment now in this moment to take that step. And that leads to one last action step that Jesus gives. And it's to walk worthy of eternal blessings. To walk worthy of eternal blessings. The reward for living the life Jesus calls the church in Sardis to, and us as well, is pretty incredible when you see it. It's an eternal blessing. He speaks of it beginning in verse 4, if you look at it. Yet you have still a few names. That's his way of referring to people who are in line for big blessings, eternal blessings. Talking about how their name is present on Jesus' lips and minds and in his book. You have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says that there are at least a few names in the church in Sardis who haven't become complacent. He says these are people who haven't soiled their garments. Now, that little phrase there has nothing to do with uncontrolled bowel movements, even though there are a few people who have suggested that's what he's talking about. That's not this. It's talking about how it's just a better appearance for you if your clothes are not dirty. Because if you're walking around with dirty clothes all the time, it's like something's wrong. Something isn't going like it should be. I remember some years ago, our family, my kind of extended family, probably 12 or 15 of us, we went out to brunch one day. We had just been off to a special event, and so we're all kind of dressed up, and we went out to brunch at this restaurant, and and we walked in, and we sat down, and the waiter came over and took our drink order, and then he walked off to get the drinks, and, and he came back, and he had all of the glasses. There were at least, you know, the 12, 15 of us, probably some extra water. He had it all on a single tray up like this. All right? Kind of showing off just a little bit. You've seen people do that, right? You've seen waiters do that. Have you ever watched that and you've wondered, do they ever drop those? They do. Just so you know. Just as he was trying to take it down so that he could serve the drinks to each one of us, he kind of slipped in his hand. And he spilled, he dumped the whole tray right in Carolyn in my lap. The whole tray. And I don't mean he kind of got us wet a little bit. It was a full frontal assault is what happened with all of the glasses, the stuff in them. There was water. There was Coke. We had some kids with us, so there's chocolate milk and orange juice. I don't know if you've ever bathed in orange juice before, but it is not fun, and it gets really sticky. I mean, we tried to mop it off as best we can, but we didn't want to spoil things for everybody, and so we just sat there. All this is going on. And that's bad enough as it is. But then on the way home, we actually had to stop at a store. And we walk in and we look horrible. And we're so embarrassed as people are looking at us. They're looking at us and they're thinking, there's something wrong with these people. And that's what's going on here in Sardis too. It's like they're, they're clothes, they're soiled. They're walking around dirty. What is wrong with these people? And it's the picture that Jesus is trying to draw out here. Soiled clothes on the people of the church meant something wasn't right there. Jesus says, 
that what is right is the one who walks with him in white, for they are worthy. Now, they're not in white and they're not worthy because of what they have done. The reason that they are worthy is because of what has been done for them by Jesus. By the one who is pictured here in heaven, in beautiful array, who has come to give his life so that we might be made clean. In Revelation chapter 7, it's talking about the eternal blessing for the believer. And here's the way that it puts it. Look at this verse. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's why we can have white garments. Why we can be clothed in white. That's why we can be declared worthy. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. It is these, the ones clothed in white, that Jesus says He will confess before the Father and He will not blot their names out of the book of life. That's an image that comes up multiple times. In the scriptures, this idea of this book of life and the name of those who are believers. In the, and he says, I will not blot their names out. I'm going to, to stand for them before the Father. Now, there's some people who have said, well, if he's talking about not blotting their names out, then there must be other people's names that are blotted out. No, that's not what this is saying. It doesn't say that at all. You shouldn't draw that conclusion because it doesn't say that. All it says is that he is going to provide for those who have been made white through the blood of the Lamb. God is going to carry on to completion the work that He has begun in us. It doesn't make any sense that He would wash us white by the blood of the Lamb, by the perfect and complete and satisfactory blood of the Lamb, and then make us dirty again. It doesn't make sense. He's provided for us for all time. At the same time, it's vital that we would examine just what work he has begun in us. The message to Sardis suggests that where there is this faith in Christ, it should be evident. Jesus says the problem is you look dead. You have a reputation, yes, but there's nothing substantial. There should be fruit, genuine fruit that is evident in you. And he says, I don't see it. It's very interesting in verse 4 of our text today that Jesus says that there are, did you notice this when we read it? There are a few names. A few names of people there in Sardis who haven't soiled their garments. He doesn't say there are some names, that there are many names. He says there are a few names. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's all a warning. All of it coming together, what Jesus has to say there, what Jesus has to say here. Not everyone who says to me, not everyone who just knows my name, not everyone who just knows something about me is going to enter in. For some, it's just lip service. For some, it looks good. They've got a good reputation. But there's no reality behind it. It's a warning for all that we wouldn't be caught off guard. That we wouldn't be caught off guard by the thief that returns, or like the thief that returns. We don't know when. So he's saying, now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to wash your garments white. 
not through anything that you do, but by receiving what has been done for you. And how do you step in that direction? He says, first, wake up. For some of us, we need to wake up to the truth that exists about us to strengthen what might be there. Remember and repent. And if we will, and when we will, we will be washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Praise be to God. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the beautiful truth for those who will be washed white. But there's a, there's a very stern warning here to people, many like us, who have a good reputation with other people, good reputation in our small group, a good reputation as people look on what we're doing and how busy we are for you. But at the same time, recognizing that it's smoke and mirrors, that it's busyness, but not authenticity. It appears as something, but there's no substance. Father, this just convicts me to examine my own heart, to ask what there is real and what there is just for the consumption of others, just to put on a good front. Father, all of us are susceptible to falling in that trap. And I pray that in this moment we would wake up, that we would ask ourselves what is real and what is not. And where there's anything that's not, that we'd confess it that we'd repent of it and remember from where we've come and move back to that place with you. We thank you for the hope that is found in you, the opportunity to respond in the, in the moment that we have in this moment, a moment that will not last because one day you're coming. One day the opportunity will be passed. So Lord, may we be intentional in this moment. Help us to wake up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's only one way to be washed white, to be made worthy, and we've just talked about it. It is through the blood of the Lamb it is through the slain lamb. I love reading through Revelation and reading about Jesus and you have this, this glorious appearance of him in heaven and it's inspiring and it's awe-filling. But what strikes me every time when you see the lamb that is sitting on the throne, it is a lamb essentially with a slit throat a lamb that has been sacrificed, a lamb that has died, that has taken that throne. He is our God. He is our Savior. And apart from His blood, there would be no hope. 
there would be no eternal life. There would be no victory over sin. There would be no anticipation of heaven and one day seeing His glorious appearance and the face shining like the sun. We look forward to that day and we have hope to experience that day as we're washed white through the blood of the Lamb. An opportunity provides for us simply by turning our faith and putting our faith in Him, putting our trust in Him. He gave us that opportunity to have that life, but it cost Him everything. It cost Him to become the slain Lamb of God. But He did it willingly for you, for me, that we might have life. And he asks us to remember that. To celebrate that fact. And that's what we come to do today. Remembering all that the Lamb gave up to be our Savior. His body broken. His blood poured out. And so we're going to come to the table today to celebrate communion. To celebrate the Lamb that was slain. As you partake of these elements, that might be a picture that just runs through your mind. The picture of the slain Lamb of God, now victoriously reigning in heaven on the throne. But it cost Him everything to give you hope and to give you life. So we're going to celebrate that by coming to the table today to partake. If you're watching in the classic venue or on the Moon Campus, the Leaders there are going to give you the instruction for how to partake of the elements. If you're here present in the room, just a few words of instruction for you from whatever seat you are in. If you would stand at the right time and just move toward the center and the first aisle that you come to, if you would just come down to the front and just circle around to the table in front of your section, take the elements and go back to your seat. You're welcome to stay here on the stairs if you'd like and pray and sit in the front row maybe if you'd like or just go back to your seat but I invite you to go ahead and partake of those elements on your own during the course of the song that is coming whenever you feel that your heart is prepared to receive if you're not able to come on down or you prefer not to come on down if when others are if you just slip your hand up there'd be someone who will bring those elements to you I would invite those who are going to be serving at the tables to come at this time and get prepared to serve. And then we're going to dismiss you in just a moment and you can come down and you can partake together. This is a beautiful opportunity that we have to celebrate all that Jesus has done for us, all that the slain lamb has provided. Heavenly Father, thank you for this table that is spread before us. Thank you for what Jesus was willing to endure on our behalf so that we might have life. So we come today to celebrate the slain Lamb of God whose body was broken and blood poured out. And we partake of these elements to remember and to celebrate. And we do it in the name of the slain Lamb of Jesus. Amen.